Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Look, I don't want to have to put you two kids through hell, so let me tell you how this is going to happen. First, I'm going to hurt you. Then, you're going to try and be brave. Then, I'm going to hurt you again. Then, you're going to tell me everything. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from a hotel resort in Mexico just six hours away from San Diego, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. Hola. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Good evening, everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing swell. We're here to talk about head. I'm doing great. Oh, fantastic. I'm not quite sure we watched the same movie, but we'll get into that in a second. Tonight, we are talking about eight heads in a duffel bag. This movie comes from one of our listeners, Des, who submitted this movie into the Bronco Helmet, she says, a long time ago, so... She told me it's one of the funniest movies she's ever seen, and I went, oh, okay, so this one's for you, D. Have you seen this before? I had not seen this before, and I knew of it. I knew Joe Pesci was in it, and I knew he played a mobster because in the 90s, that's what Joe Pesci did. Had you guys ever seen this movie? Uh-oh. No, I have not, but you bring up a good point. In this podcast, what do we review? The good, the bad. And the absurd. I think this one might fit in our absurd category. Let's get into it. Sounds good. Released on April 18th, 1997, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag was directed by Tom Shulman. It was written by Tom Shulman. And it stars Joe Pesci, Christy Swanson, David Spade, George Hamilton, Diane Cannon, Andy Como, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? Uh, this movie was made for $3 million, and it brought in $4 million. <laughs> yeah, back in 1997, th- that year, it brought in $3.6 million of the $4 million that you're talking about. And it was a clunker. On its opening weekend, it made $2 million. On the second weekend, it dropped 70%. And then... By the third weekend, it dropped an additional 90% from there. So this movie had a horrible word-of-mouth following. Yeah, well, I mean, they probably watched the same movie that I did. So Wasn't uh, Joe's next movie Gone Fishing and that one kind of bombed too? He was going into the buddy comedy era of his uh, career at the time. So, yeah, it didn't do too well. He comes back after that, though, with Lethal Weapon 4. You know, so you're going back to the well. But, you know, prior to this, he just comes off Casino two years earlier. And, you know, he's already been in two Home Alones, 
two lethal weapons, Goodfellas, Raging Bull. I mean, he's fucking Joe Pesci. Yeah. Right? And so you would think that just his name alone would be a draw. And I don't know if it was maybe in the opening weekend or whatnot, but I mean. I think that's all it was. But the problem with this film is, I mean, Pesci did what he got paid to do. It was the rest of the fucking movie that I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, you know. The storyline was not so great. I almost felt like his acting while he's, you know, Joe fucking Pesci, he's amazing and just about everything. Like he was just phoning it in. Like he was just reading his parts, getting it done, trying to get through the movie as quick as possible. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's actually kind of surprising because Tom Shulman, the director and writer, uh, won an Academy Award for Dead Poets. Dead Poets Society. Which is the reason why David Spade, even he signed on to do the movie without ever reading the script because of that fact. And he then later on in an interview apologized for ever being in the movie. Yeah, well, I don't blame him. I think Tom's writing credits are, are a little bit stronger. He also did uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Another strong following that he did was What About Bob? What About Bob is a good movie, except it's one of those movies that it didn't know how to end. It, it has a terrible ending. Yeah. What do you guys think about the rest of the cast? You had Christy Swanson from the Charlie Sheen movie. What was it called? The Chase. The Chase. She was the original Buffy in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100% she was. Oh, and she's also Simone uh, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, yes. Right, talking about to uh, the teacher. Yeah, and I'm proud to say that my ex-boss is the cousin of Christy Swanson, so she was kind enough to get me an autographed picture. Oh, look at that. You had George Hamilton and Diane Cannon. Now, George Hamilton, what's your favorite George Hamilton? Love at First Bite. That's the only thing I know him for. Yeah, me too, kind of. I was just going to say, like, every other Love Boat episode. Oh, well, yeah, he, there's that. I can't remember the last time I watched a Love Boat episode, there, guy. Come Thank over you. Saturday. <laughs> We're expecting you. Uh, Andy Como uh, plays Charlie. He's a newcomer. Uh, immediately when I saw this guy, I thought Tom Hanks and a John Cusack fused together. Well, I guess they got him at the last minute. Do you know who was supposed to be Charlie in this movie? Who's that? Damon Waynes, who dropped out at the last moment. Oh, that would have been funny. Yeah, he dropped out two weeks before, and he was one of the driving factors of another reason why David Spade agreed to do the movie. Yeah, yeah, that would have been good. I just thought this guy was flat, and he was very, I mean, I didn't care. Yeah, he, he's very cardboard. Yes, Yes. What did you think of David Spade's performance in this movie? When did Tommy Boy come out? Tommy Boy was uh, 95. So I think that uh, it's almost the same character, Richard. And I think mainly because it's the haircut, but at the root of it, it's so David Spade. And this movie needed more David Spade. I I read a story that David Spade, one of the things that he came in and demanded uh, when he agreed to do this movie was nobody touches his hair. He didn't want any product. He didn't want any hairdressers messing with his hair. And now he hates even looking at the film because of the way his hair looked. He he doesn't understand why he did that. David Spade playing David Spade, which is he is the master of the put down. And that's exactly what he is in this movie. Yep. And I, I thought that him and Pesci's chemistry uh, worked really well. There are not a lot of bright spots to this film, but there are a couple things that glimmer so yeah i thought into it you know the guy who played steve i know i've seen him in a few other things 
But uh, I thought he was okay with David Spade, but he just got overshadowed by him. You didn't really pay much attention to him until he kind of went crazy at the end. Yeah, well, even then, I stopped paying attention to him, so. So guess what time it is? It's trivia time. The worst part, I think, about coming up with trivia for this movie is I came up with some great questions. At least I think they're great. But then I realized I didn't have the answers, so I had to go through and watch the movie a second time to get the answers. Wait, 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 wait. Let me, let, let me stop you right there, bud. You watched this movie twice? I watched it twice, so you should appreciate these questions. We do this trivia to see which one, Don or Ken, is the movie master. Who is the expert with their movie trivia knowledge? And before we move on, can you please remind the listeners of the rules? The rules is whoever gives me the answer first... But the other person gives it a better answer. I might just award it to them because I like breaking the rules. So there you have it, <laughs> listeners. Those are the fucking rules. Yeah, there really aren't any rules. It's just whatever. All right, whatever all right, I want to get right, the point all right, all right. Let's fucking hit this shit. Okay. What song do the heads sing to Tommy while he's dreaming? Mr. Sandman. Sandman. I'm tempted not to give it to either of you because it was to the tune of Mr. Sandman, but it was Mr. Hitman. So that I mean, That's technicalities, man. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll give you guys a tie on that one. I'll be nice. Well, then it it, it it's not like it's like not giving it to us too because exactly. we don't get anything out of it. Exactly. So fucking move on, game master. Okay. I said game. Go on. In the beginning of the movie, what airport is Tommy flying out of? He is flying out of. He's flying out of New Jersey. Do you have an answer? Nope. Newark. So I'll give you New Jersey on that one. Well, Newark Airport is in New Jersey. That's what I'm so saying. I'll you, give it to you. You have to give it to me. Well, but the airport actually, the sign said Newark as he was driving underneath it. What university does Charlie go to? Oh, something with a C. I don't know. I don't know. Cambridge. Uh, Cambridge. Columbia. Beth, Bethesda University in Baltimore. Oh, that's right. Because the airline, the, the ticket guy. <laughs> what fraternity is Charlie a member of? Tai Beta Kappa. I don't know. Uh, Sigma Cum Loud in 69. Chi Theta, which I guess is a business fraternity. Wait, so let, let, let's back this up for a second. You and I are batting zero. Mm-hmm. All right, just wanted to, just wanted to make sure. This, this one should be an easy one. When Ernie answers the phone, when Tommy calls, where does he say they are located? Uh, something mortuary? I don't know. You guys, did you guys watch this movie? Uh, yeah. Once. Not okay. twice, bud. House of Pain. Oh. <laughs> and he introduces himself as Qaddafi. <laughs> well, had you said, who does he introduce himself as, I would have gotten that one. We're going to keep trying to see if you guys can get a point here. What does Lori do for a living? She is a lawyer. No, 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 no. She's a race car driver. Race car driver. Yeah. You got it. Nice. Ken's like, which is funny because later on in the movie. That's about the size of it. <laughs> she drives horribly, which I thought was funny. Uh, what you is, would. What is the name of the little dog in Mexico? P- uh, Pepe. There you go, Pepe. What is Dick's nickname for his wife? I don't know. Bear. Bear. Very good. Last question. In the end of the movie, what does it say on the back of Dick's head? Gringo 407. Ken gets it. Gringo 407. Gringo 407. Now, 407, I searched all over the place to try to find out the significance. They didn't. I don't think they ever brought up 407 in the movie, did they? No, I, I didn't see any mention to 407. In fact, I forgot even it even said 407 on the tattoo. Do you know any significance to that, Ken? 
Uh-uh. I tried to look it up, and the only thing I could find was is that 407 is called the angel's number. It's the sign of Messiah. It's also a powerful number that signifies either you're in love or you're about to have love coming to you. So I'm wondering if someone tattooed the back of his head 407 because while he was in prison, love was coming. That is probably a sound theory. Maybe it was the director's favorite number. Why didn't they reveal anything? What was the point of putting 407 on the back of his head if they weren't going to reveal the punchline to that joke? Because sometimes not everything needs to be explained. It's a MacGuffin. Okay. Well, that ends the trivia. So I believe, Don, you won this round. So that puts us at a tie between the two of you. We tied last week. So how, how, how can it still be a tie? Because it's a tie between the two of you. Oh. Okay, I, I don't I don't know how else to ask the question, um, but I just won, yeah. And last week we were tied, so we wouldn't still be tied. Yeah, which is means you guys are tied. Tommy Spinelli is a wise guy hired by Benny and Rico, a pair of dim-witted hitmen, to transport a duffel bag full of severed heads across the United States to crime boss Big Sep as proof of the deaths. Well, on a commercial flight, his bag is accidentally switched with that of Charlie Pritchett, a friendly, talkative young tourist who is going to Mexico to see his girlfriend Lori and her parents, Dick and Annette. After Charlie meets with Lori and her parents at the airport with the wrong bag, they go to their rooms at a resort in Acapulco, Mexico. Soon, Annette mistakenly thinks that Charlie might be a serial killer on the run once she sees a head in his bag while hiding a gift for him inside the bag. Her husband thinks it's all a delusion brought on by her alcoholism. So this movie starts off um, with, I guess, the murders of these eight guys. Yeah, we see a, we hear a bunch of bullets and stuff, like gunshots, assuming that's how and- all eight died. And you get, uh, you know, Joe Pesci coming in, being Joe Pesci. First initial thoughts? I'm thinking with that, uh, with the burning of the bodies, that's got to stink something awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. What about you? I just thought, you know, he comes in, the casual gangster. You get, you get the impression right away that he's older than everybody else. He even mentions that, you know, I how long have I been working for your father kind of thing. So you get the impression this is a hitman, a gangster who's, at the end of his story. Sure. And, of course, his name is Tommy, because it's also Tommy and Goodfellas. It's almost like a PG-13 version of Tommy from Goodfellas in this film, although this movie was rated R. You know what I mean? Same mannerisms, same kind of attitude, just real toned down. You you kind of said it like he phoned it in. I thought maybe he just might be on a lot of quaaludes during this shoot in 97. Who knows? But um, I, I immediately thought, yep, yeah, here's fucking Pesci. You know what I mean? And I liked how they already had the heads in the bags, nicely tucked into the duffel bag. And we're told that uh, Pesci has to take these eight heads to the boss, Big Shep, uh, as proof. And so he heads to the airport. Do you guys like how he got through security? I did. I did like how he got through security. Here's my question. And this may be one of the things that kind of set a tone for me in the beginning of the movie was that scene that was funny when he opened up his trunk and all the guns and everything are in his trunk in the airport garage. But then the officer walks by, says hi to him, looks in the trunk, and then keeps walking. They never reveal, like, was that a friend of his? Does he have some deal worked out? The officer just doesn't care that he's got a 
trunk full of guns. It just seemed a little odd to me. Take your pick. I mean. Didn't kind of seem weird to you? Not at all. I don't even remember the cop looking into the trunk. He, well, because I watched it a second time, I looked for it. He does a little head nod that he kind of looks down to the trunk and just keeps walking. Oh, well, then let's chalk it up to he knows Tommy's a gangster and he just doesn't want to fuck with it right now. Okay. Okay. I thought it was interesting, too. The first gun that Tommy picks out of it is that little tiny gun. And I'm thinking, what's he going to put that in his sock? What's it, how's he going to get that through security? So I like the payoff that, you know, going through security, putting it in the woman's jacket. Right. So he had to divert the attention of TSA uh, mm-hmm. to get the heads across because, you know, going through an x-ray machine, they're going to see that shit. Mm-hmm. And so he gets onto the plane, and this is where we meet uh, his seatmate, Charlie. And... Uh, Pesci comes on with the bag and he he's he has to put it up in an overhead bin or whatever. But Charlie had put some gifts up there. And so Pesci, he takes the gifts and he asks uh, Charlie oh. to move them, whatever. And he just kind of takes over everything. And he's such a dick. Well, the first impression you get of him is, again, like we talked about, he's, you know, a gangster hitman who's at the end. You know, he's been doing this for years. He's out of fucks. He just doesn't give a fuck. No, he doesn't because he gets his bag in the overhead and then at the last second, someone bringing a... a Organ donor. Onto the plane, you know, and the the flight attendant says, hey, can you move your bag? And he's like, I'd really rather not. Well, also... Can you go find someone else? You also (laughs) notice that when he kind of forced the gifts out of the bin, which I thought, first of all, Charlie was kind of a dick taking up the whole bin with just two presents. But as Charlie's trying to find a place to put the second present, did you notice that Tommy then grabbed his pillow and grabbed his blanket yeah. and just didn't give a crap? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I noticed that very much. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it just goes into his character. And well, this is also, I think, to show us that Charlie's kind of a pushover. Yeah, well, at this point, Charlie was already getting on my nerves and I just met him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, the organ donor bag comes in and, uh, they want to put it in the overhead thing, and Pesci doesn't want him to. I like how he goes up to the uh, flight attendant and ha- hands her some money and says, how about we just leave it where it is? I, I'm <laughs> Such just, a gangster move. I'm just buying a place for my bag. Yeah, yeah. I like how he tried to kick the organs underneath the chair, and there's like, it's like, those are living organs. Trust me, they don't feel it. Yeah. There were some few moments where Pesci shined, and I think this particular scene was one of them. I think he does a comedic gangster almost as good as he does a serious gangster. One of the best things about Joe Pesci is almost when he has his freak out moments, like in Goodfellas, you know, that I, I make you laugh kind of thing. You know, those those freak out spooky moments. And I feel like you're waiting the whole movie for him to have that moment. I don't feel like, did we ever even get that payoff? Yes. Yes, we do. But it's done in, uh, it's done in sections. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when we get there. Um, so they take off and then they land and naturally the bags are going to get swapped. Yeah. Typical movie trope. Right. And so uh, Pesci thinks he gets the right bag. Right. Because it's it's open a little bit and there's something that sticks out that makes you think it would be a wrapped head. I thought maybe he um, automatically assumed it was the wrong bag. That's why he ran to the bathroom to check out what was in the bags. No, I didn't. Um, that's not how I took it. Okay. Um, but he goes and he checks it out, and it is the wrong bag. And this is one of those moments where he kind of freaks out because uh, he has to make a phone call, right? He's got to tell whoever 
that he, he lost the bag. And it, and when he starts banging the the receiver, the receiver, that's the equivalent of Tommy Losing freaking it. out. That's why I said he's like a PG-13 version of Tommy. You know what I mean? Did you get that the scene in the bathroom, we had our first instance, which I think is foreshadowing in this movie. Uh, by all means. When Joe Pesci, or when Tommy is going through the bag, trying to figure out who owns the bag, he pulls out Charlie's report. Did you see what the title of his report was? Um, yeah, but I don't think I paid attention. It was Slight of Mind by Charlie Pritchett. Yeah, that, that's his novel. What is one of the last lines that Charlie has in this movie? A slight of Hand. He says Slight of Bags by Charlie Pritchett when he swaps the bags. Okay. So I kind of felt like the slight of mind, the word slight, that whole line was foreshadowing to the point of how he was going to do the bags at the end. Slight of mind is what he starts with, and then slight of bag is is what he's going to call it due to um, the experience that he just had. So I think the only coincidence, coincidence there is just the word slight. But that's just me. Well, slight is another word for switch. Well, I, so, I know it's... So I, I think he's foreshadowing means. that he's going to switch the bags at the end. But he, how could he know that he doesn't have the bags? He no. wrote that way before he know, ever knew I'm, there was going to be a bag. So how could he... It's a message to us, the audience. Okay. That's how I saw it. But maybe you have to watch it twice. <laughs> good luck on that, bud. I was just thinking that. Yeah, good luck on that. We find out that Charlie's meeting his girlfriend and her parents. Well, let me ask you this question. When Charlie and Lori have their discussion about her wanting a divorce and everything like that, how many of us have not accidentally invited ourselves on a vacation? Me? I haven't. Oh, I guess it's just me then. Yeah. yeah. But I could see why you would misinterpret that. Yeah. <laughs> so they make it to the resort, and you can tell right away that uh, uh, Lori's dad, George Hamilton, uh, does not like... Charlie. Well, I whatsoever. feel like he's appropriately named. Who? Wooly? Lori's dad. Dick. His oh, name is Dick. Because he's a yeah. dick character. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have Diane Cannon, who I think is lovable. She wasn't really given a lot to work with here, but she plays that trope of either the uh, drunk mom or she just tries the out-of-the-control mom and then yeah. out-of-control. Yeah. But um, so we meet their characters, and they... During that divorce talk, Charlie's like, whoops. But maybe it's a good thing and all this. I mean, I thought it was funny that she goes from, you know, wanting to break up to, okay, let's just see what happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, what choice does she have at that point? Yeah, but I guess he did have a point of, you know, it was the parents' influence that was probably prompting her to want to break up. Maybe. And then uh, this is where Diane Cannon wanting to get, you know, to know Charlie better or whatever, got him a gift, which was weird. Well, it's because he had given her a gift. So now she was trying to return the favor and give him a gift. So they just have gifts with them? Probably maybe she ran down to the gift shop. I don't know. It seemed like the whole thing was odd. Why? Like, why was he bringing gifts to the parents? Well, it was her dad's birthday. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah, it was her dad's birthday. Um. Yeah, I don't know why she would give Charlie a gift. Anyways, she's giving him a gift. And she puts it into the bag. And when she does it, she puts it in there and she zips it up and she walks away. And the first thing I fucking think is, no way she didn't see the fucking heads. Totally. But 
but they play it off, right? Because mm-hmm. she stops, she comes back in, and then she freaks out. What did you think of her freak out? I thought it was... Um, it was all right. It was okay. It I didn't was quite understand the hyperventilating and all that. And Have you ever seen a human head cut off like that? Uh, not recently. All right. Well, when you do, tell me if you hyperventilate or not. Okay. Um, but I liked her freakouts more than, let's say, Charlie's freakouts. Charlie's freakouts just got on my fucking nerves. Mm-hmm. And it was just this whole guy. So um, now mom knows. And Charlie hasn't even figured it out yet. He, yeah, he still doesn't know. Well, one of the first things is he says, the restaurant downstairs is closing in 10 minutes. We got to get down there and get some food. So everybody get downstairs. That's why he's trying to rush the wife downstairs. When she runs back to the room, he goes downstairs for the food. And then Charlie and Lori join him downstairs for food. And now we have mom coming downstairs. Very paranoid. With the sword. Go on. Because she comes downstairs with the sword. Right. And then Paco comes up to him and says, no, no, no. That is not for sale. Which I thought was kind of a funny line. And they've taken the sword away from her. Uh, but since she comes there, she grabs a fork and eventually she jumps over the table at Charlie. That's right. And she tackles him and Charlie's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so everybody just assumes it has to do with her alcoholism and her issues. And that's why she gets, she's on some pills or something. Right. Cause they make her woozy. Yeah. And the next scene we have is what you were talking about. We're up in Dick's room. He's on the phone, I think, trying to deal with the... No, he's talking to his mom, his Fern, mother, yeah. telling her why she can't come down. It's raining, it's pouring, it's stormy, it's all, you know, ants are everywhere. And that's when Charlie dumps out the bag of heads. Right. And how does uh, Dick not see or not figure out that these are fucking heads? Well, he looks behind him a couple of times to see all these little bags. All the, Yeah. And he just, says something about dirty laundry. Yeah. I think he thinks it's dirty laundry. And that's love- insane. The heads make like mannequin head sounds too. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so Charlie finds out that he's got, he's been transporting heads. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so uh, in the meantime, Pesci has to make a phone call and tell Benny and Rocco that there's been a delay, you know, and he says, you know, give me a couple days. And Rocco says you have 24 hours. Right. Mm-hmm. So now Pesci doesn't know what the fuck he's going to do. So you have that going on. I don't think that um, in the first half of this movie, Pesci's in it for maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes. He's not in a lot of this first half. We spent a lot of time with with this family Mm -hmm. at this fucking resort. And, you know, the hijinks ensues and it, it just gets crazy. I thought that Lori, even though she freaked out a little bit when she found out about the heads, she didn't freak out enough. I mean, wouldn't you have basically been on, you know, been out of there, been... Well, he fucking didn't let her go anywhere. You know? Do you see that? I mean... Right. I'm shocked you're not all over that. I did not... Yeah, you know, I'm not a fan of this movie from the start, if you can't tell. Yeah, well, no, I'm just saying that particular scene, I'm shocked you're not all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I But I guess, you know... At the time, it was funny, but I thought it was weird that he was able to... You know, basically control her, hold her mouth, wave yes to Paco. And the the staff is like, huh, Americans. <laughs> so, yeah, Lori freaks out. Um, when do we have the laundry scene? This is, uh, that's after. Is that right after this? That the, uh, the blind, just happens to be a blind. First of all, Charlie tells the staff, don't clean my room. They come in and clean his room anyway. Uh, they take the heads or take at least one of the heads 
and put it in the wash machine. I'm thinking, how did nobody ever see that there was a head in the washing machine? I know you had the blind lady, but how did nobody ever notice that? Oh, there's so many. How come we didn't do this or how come they didn't see that in this movie? Um, I, I think it's meant to be slapstick. And I think whoever, you know, thought that this was a good idea, thought it was funny. I mean, I think even just getting from the head to the laundry machine or from the laundry machine to the, you'd notice this doesn't belong in a washing machine. You would think. Spinelli harasses Charlie's friend Ernie and Steve for information while Charlie and Lori attempt to get rid of their rather unfortunate luggage. At first, Charlie and Lori try to bury the heads in the desert, but a group of thugs steal their car. Then, Charlie comes up with an idea that will give back the heads without anyone noticing by pretending he forgot to turn in his report back at college. In turn, everyone packs up for the airport. At the airport, Charlie accidentally puts a severed head in Dick's carry-on bag, causing him to get arrested. They never leave Acapulco since they have to come up with a new plan to save Dick. So Tommy has to find out what happened to the heads, and he finds Charlie's paper, and he links it back to uh, him, his college. Well, the funny thing is, and I, again, having to watch this movie a second time, thanks, D. Uh, I basically stopped on the part where he opened up the report and in the report, Charlie has written, if found, return to, and has like the phone number and I think his address and stuff all in, in that little report. So it made Tommy's job pretty easy. He goes to the college and he finds where Charlie lives. Chi Theta, which is fraternity house. And, um... Is it like spring break or something? Because I guess because I, I, I think the campus is empty, and I think that they even mention it because Pesci calls and David Spade answers. House of Pain. That's right. And uh, this is where David Spade's a smart ass, and then he hangs up on him. Does and, it sound like I'm hanging up? Yeah. Or tell me if it sounds like I hang up. Tell me if it sounds like I'm hanging up. And uh, Pesci starts breaking the phone. And is this the bit where the lady wants to use the phone as well? Or is that the second time? Uh, that could be the second time. Yeah. That's uh, the second. Yeah. E either way, uh, this bit was pretty funny because everyone was kind of looking at him crazy. Anyways, uh, Tommy finds his way to Cheda Cheda Bing Bang. And uh, he creeps in. He and comes across Steve first. He comes he? across Steve first. That's right. He says, calls him Qaddafi. And then and Steve's like, what the fuck are you talking about, right? Because it was really David Spade. And then David Spade comes home, and he tries to leave, and Pesci runs after him. What do you think of uh, Tommy's torture techniques? This was probably one of my favorite scenes because it was so funny. You've been whipped with a wet... Talon, oh, yeah. right yeah yeah fucking hurts right yeah it's so funny that that was one of the things he chose to do but my favorite one my favorite one the favorite torture was when he made him wear the stethoscopes and, and he took him. both hands and just and his, their hands are tied <laughs> like i said glimmers glimmers of comedy and this this was one of those scenes would mm -hmm. you guys think of this these torture scenes I thought, well, you know, a lot of the interactions of Tommy and Ernie were humorous. They were actually some of the funnier parts in this movie. But like you said, Don, you know, those humorous parts were so far and few, like, uh, you know, in between. It was just, there wasn't enough of that. If that's what they wanted this movie to be, to be a comedy, it just wasn't enough. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. And so, uh, you know, Tommy has no choice. You know, he even tells both of them. 
uh, I, I, I got to kill you guys, right? So, you know, we might as well. I'm wasting too much time here. Uh, let's just get this over with. And then, you know, miraculously. Another kind of movie trope. He calls in. Charlie calls. And because um, Charlie's freaking out. Charlie and Lori are trying to get out of Mexico. So they come up with this bullshit story that uh, he forgot to turn in his paper. And then they go to the airport and, you know, <laughs> uh, Dick gets caught with the two heads. Uh, but did you notice that when they were going through the scanner that the scanner stopped because they were looking at a hairdryer? Yeah. So a little comedy there. Well, the right? one thing, again, there are so many things that were so far-fetched in this movie. How does Charlie forget that he put a head or two heads into Dick's carry-on? You know what? I I don't know. Movie convenience? I, I don't know how or why this guy does anything he did. He, did. he was just so boring to watch. I didn't even fucking care. Um, he, he seemed like a dim-witted character that oh i forgot to put in the heads that's what i got from him and you know what was with that statue that statue that diane cannon gave to charlie i don't know where they got that from it was supposed to be something dick loves manly things so they were supposed to be getting him a manly statue is was that a manly statue i i suppose i guess who knows but that's the whole reason why he's got to take the fucking heads out in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's throughout this whole shenanigans that's happening, it's amazing he ends up with the eight that he started with because he loses one in the laundry. And then, you know, he one keeps rolling or the dog keeps taking it or, you know, it, it just is what it is. So Charlie calls, him and Tommy talk, and they figure out that, they were sitting next to each other in the airport, whatever. And so... Uh, Tells him not to leave. That he's going to... Oh, they're going to meet... At the airport in San Diego. Right. Meanwhile, Tommy, Ernie, and Steve start to look for replacement heads after Charlie tells Tommy he lost one. They start to look in a cryogenics lab where they store bodies and severed heads, much to Tommy's approval. After getting the replacement heads, Tommy and the others get on a plane and head to Mexico. Tommy threatens Charlie that if he loses one more head, he'll replace them with Charlie's friends and family. After hearing of the airport incident, Benny and Rico decide to collect the heads for themselves. When Fern, Dick's mother, arrives in Mexico, Tommy takes her and the others hostage as he helps Charlie find more heads. They find out that a coyote took one of the heads from the stolen car. Tommy also realizes that Benny and Rico are going to kill him if he doesn't get the heads across the border in time. Charlie comes up with a plan to save both of their lives. So Charlie and Tommy talk. Tommy knows that he's two heads short, tells Charlie not to fucking leave or do fucking anything. They're going to meet at the airport. And in the meantime, Tommy says, we got to fucking find some new heads. And he starts to, you know, uh, he I think he's going through like the directory, picking professors yeah. that he wants to kill. And Steve is having a hard time with it. And then uh, David Spade's like, wait a minute. There's the cryogenics lab. Well, first, doesn't that was it uh, Ernie that basically says, you know, they, he finds a professor. Tommy finds a professor that looks just like one of the heads. Right. And Steve kind of freaks out. And Ernie's like, didn't that guy give you a D anyway? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So, David Spade does a good job of kind of giving those one-liner kind of little witty statements. Oh, yeah. Yeah, David David Spade uh, is a is a a bright spot in a very 
dark area. Yeah. So uh, they like, go to the lab. And then Steve has another freak out of, we can't, these people trusted us with their lives, blah, 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 we can't. He's having them. a moral issue. Yeah. Right. Or wasn't it in the morgue that they finally found a couple of bodies and Tommy turns to Steve and says, okay, you're cutting them off. Yeah, they did get them from the morgue. That's where they got them from. And that's when, like, Steve says, I'm, a, you know, in studying dermatology or something like right. that. Never yeah. dissected a body. Right. So uh, they go to the morgue, they dissect some heads, and then they head off to the airport. So did they infer that Steve could fly a plane? Somebody yes. did, yeah. Yes. Yeah, because they... That's they, one of the reasons why Tommy leaves them alive. He was really going to ditch them again. And they're like, but, but, but Steve can fly. Right. They make it to San Diego, and they are on their way to meet Tommy. Well, they're going to go to the airport, but don't they find out something that Charlie and them are still trapped in Mexico, so now... Well, what gets revealed is that... that Dick got caught. Yeah, Dick got caught at the airport, and and the two heads show up on the news, and uh, and and the guys who hired Tommy are like, Oh, this is bad. We got to go down there right now. And then he and then Tommy ends up hearing about this as well. And then he realizes that he is up shit creek as well. So everybody is converging on to Mexico. Now with Dick in jail, uh, Charlie's got to come up with something, right? Um, Because everything is going to come to a head. But see what you did there? Womp womp. What would you think of the whole, well, this movie had a lot of side stories going on. One of them was the first time when Charlie and Lori try to go out into the desert and get rid of the, the heads, um, they get the car stolen. Later on, Charlie sees the car at a car, you know, the car that was stolen at a car rental place. So he has to rent it. So he has to rent the car, even though he has, you know, his magazines in the back of the car. Uh, he has to rent the same car. He goes back out in the desert only to have the car stolen again by the same group. Right. But the second time, the group stopped because they... Must open up the bag. They discover the heads. Yeah. and because Oh, because uh, Charlie's driving and it's starting to stink and he pulls into this gas station and he puts them in a cooler with a bunch of ice. Mm-hmm. And then he puts the sandwich on top. I thought it gone in 60 seconds. Uh, the... The funny thing I thought was this, with them running away from the car, is Charlie's first reaction is, why'd they take the keys? Oh, right. <laughs> In the meantime, Dick's mom has joined the... Fern. Yep, she has joined the the group. And, I mean, this lady, this lady had a mouth on her, right? You can kind of see where Dick gets it. Oh, yeah. She gets all mad at Dick for going to jail or for getting mm. caught or something. So I think this movie starts to pick up again when Tommy finally arrives gets there, uh, finds out that, um, you know, more heads are... I like when they start chasing the coyote all over the place. I thought that was kind of a humorous scene. And even Tommy's getting into it, trying to get this coyote. But the big scene is when Tommy is in the van, holding them all kind of hostage as they're driving, uh, and Fern is just getting on his nerves. This is probably one of my other favorite scenes. Yeah. Um, She's just... In his ear, and he, you know, Tommy can only take so much. He throws her out of a movie Just fucking van. casually opens up the door, grabs her, and tosses her out. This was one of the few moments that I laughed out loud. Yeah. This one, and then the towel snaps, and then the stethoscope. Did you feel bad at all about throwing the old lady out the car? No. Not one Professor? Ounce. Oh, I, I thought that took it a little too far. 
because it, it didn't show her. It showed her going over a uh, like a cliff. Yeah. yeah, I thought she was just gonna tumble a little bit. No, they made it right to the point where there was a cliff right at the road, and yeah, and hey, she lived. Yeah, and I just I love how Lori is freaking out, and Annette is like, "Oh, thank." God. I know. And then uh, I'm free. She, and she even says, uh, thanks for throwing out the battle axe. And he says, uh, 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 the going rate is five thou, but you can owe me. <laughs> oh, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. So uh, now they have to come up with a plan. Uh, they know that Benny and Rico are onto them. They meet at the resort hotel, right? Uh, Tommy and Rico and Benny. Well, at first, uh, which we're kind of given a hint to Charlie and Tommy talk and they hatch a plan, uh, which is what they do with the bag switch. So then, you know, Charlie is in one car, Tommy's in the other, uh, and they head, you know, back towards the resort. Right. With the thugs in tow. Yeah. Right. Uh, I did like the bit earlier on when uh, they're driving in the van, all of them, and Diane Cannon looks in the back and she says, oh, this looks like an ugly, or this looks like a guy I used to date, uh, Hugo Poe, or whatever the guy's name was. And uh, Pesci and Spade look at each other and they give each other five because mm-hmm. uh, it was the disc, it was the fake one. Yep. So I, I, I like that bit. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Steve's descent into being crazy? You start to get that in the back of the van. Uh, I thought it was annoying, and he played it annoying, and I can see why they did it. Um, I just thought it was annoying. So anyway, as as you said, they are now back on their way to the inn where Tommy has sat down to have a nice little continental breakfast or whatever he's having. The other two guys show up, and they sit down. And in comes Charlie with a gun. And I love Tommy's reaction first was, hey, that's my gun. And, and Charlie was like, you threw it away in the desert. It's mine now. Yeah. Yeah. So Charlie wants to take the heads. He first gets the guns from the gangsters and basically says he's taking the heads. And Tommy reveals he's taking the heads because he wants to go to the airport to show, to turn in the heads to get dick free. Right. And then the chase ensues. Charlie and Lori take the severed heads to the airport to prove her father's innocence. Benny and Rico try to intervene, but end up getting arrested. It is revealed that Tommy and Charlie set them up. Charlie thanks him for his help as Tommy departs to Hawaii. Steve goes insane and starts running around the airport telling security guards that a severed head is his best friend. Charlie and Lori get married with her mother and father present. Steve is in a straitjacket. Ernie is a brain surgeon. Fern is also present after being thrown out of a moving van when she was started to badmouth Tommy, and Tommy is enjoying his retirement. Roll credits. So this is where it all kind of comes to a head, right? It's supposed to be the big payoff. Yep, and we're coming down to the airport, and Charlie is going in, and Rocco and Benny are trying to intervene, but we know that Tommy has to get these heads across or else he's a dead man, right? That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate goal. And as it turns out, that as they're going through and they get stopped by security and everything, naturally, the gangsters get arrested, and Charlie and Lori and the rest of the gang go free. Yeah, because Charlie basically causes a diversion with one of the heads that had been swapped out or one of the heads they didn't need, and basically keeps saying. 
you know, it belongs to these gangsters. It belongs to these guys. And while he's doing that, you know, Tommy does his same thing from earlier on in the movie that he kind of kicks the bag through the detector so that he can get the heads onto the plane. Right. And then it shows him getting onto a plane. Well, first he gives back the report. Oh, yeah, right. He's he an does. honorable guy. Yeah, well, I mean, honor amongst thieves, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and he he puts the duffel bag in the plane and gets on board and takes off. Mm-hmm. And then we have our, you know, kind of, I think it was during the credits that they're showing what happened next, which is, uh, as you said, Lori and Charlie get married. And Lori's in a blue dress, which I thought was kind of weird. But uh, what do you think of all of that? Uh, I thought it was a nice bow at the end of the gift, uh, at the end of the story, uh, all wrapped up nicely. You know, we got closure with the characters that we wanted to get closure on. There shouldn't be any outstanding questions. Lori and Charlie live happily ever after. Steve naturally is in a straitjacket. What did you guys think of the bit with him running around with the fucking head? I actually kind of thought that was a little bit humorous at, at the airport. You're talking about when he was running around yeah. going, this is my best friend. And yeah. I, was roll- head. I was rolling my fucking eyes. Yeah. yeah, That's what I thought. I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. So. I, what I thought was kind of ridiculous is, you know, when we're getting our neat little bow at the end with all those little things, they didn't have to tell us that Fern survived. I think it would have been funnier just not ever going back to her again, just knowing that Tommy... Killed the old lady. I, I do too. I ag- I actually agree with you on that. But I I can imagine at uh, them some execs screening this movie, looking over at someone else and going, "Dude, you got to put the mother back in yeah, there. He can't, can't just he just can't kill the old lady like that. Yeah, yeah. can't do her that way. Right? What do you think of Hamilton with his head shaved? Uh, that was probably one of the other times that I laughed audibly. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. This is George Hamilton, mm-hmm. right? So. I got the impression from this movie is there must have been a lot that got chopped out of it because it felt like there were a lot of jokes that should have had more of a a buildup before the payoff. And all we got was maybe a little snippet of an introduction and then a payoff at the end. We didn't get the buildup to a lot of different things. Did, Did it kind of feel that way to you? No. I felt like somebody thought that the premise was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the script gets written and who knows what got cut or what didn't get cut. I didn't feel like there was more, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, it just didn't flow very well. The story didn't work for me. It, it's, you know, I just felt like, for example, the 407 on the back of the head, there was no buildup to what 407 was gringo. You can kind of get it. Maybe there but, wasn't, maybe there wasn't supposed to be. I'm just saying maybe, maybe there were like, there should have been some point to like a payoff of a joke on the back of his head. Should have, would have, could have, always equals. Didn't. And well, so. That's what I'm saying. I just feel like maybe there should have. But there, uh, I mean, okay. Yeah. And just a few other little things here and there. Lori driving in the car when they're driving, I think, to the, uh, the resort at the end of the movie. They kept making comments of, Lori, can't you just drive this any faster? And she looked kind of stressed. But. In the early on in the movie, they realized, you know, they, or they reveal she's a race car driver. It wasn't well, a race car. It was a van. They drive differently. So I'm just saying, it just why have that joke and then have her be a bad driver later? You know, little things like that, it just, they didn't work well for me. It's Like I said, it felt like I was m- missing part of the joke. 
No. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes more sense. And let me just clue you in, buddy. You weren't missing part of the joke because there were no jokes because it wasn't fucking funny. Okay. So <laughs> don't feel bad. You weren't missing anything, my friend. So yeah, that's fucking eight heads in a duffel bag. Well, I do have some good news. What's that, buddy? I can't wait. Normally, at this point in our podcast, you know, I would take whatever movie we were reviewing and I come up with some kind of precious moments, Lord of the Rings connection to it. And this movie was such a chaotic mess, you'd think it would be impossible to come up with something. But I still did. That was the longest fucking intro I've ever heard in my life. And now it's time for John's. Moment. So as I said, you may think that connecting eight heads in a, in a duffel bag to Lord of the Rings would be impossible. I still made the effort. Frodo is Charlie. He's the one on a, a journey to impress his girlfriend's parents and win back the love of his girlfriend, Lori. As he gets deeper in trouble, thanks to the heads in the bag, his girlfriend, Lori becomes his Sam, trying to help him get rid of the heads. Mary and Pippin, well, easily, they have to be Ernie and, Sa- and Steve. Helpful at times, but mainly they just serve as comic relief. Tommy Spinelli, although mean and abusive to those around him, he does show leadership qualities as he's often the one giving the orders. He tries to protect himself and others later on, and at the end, retires to his own kingdom in Hawaii. This makes him a darker version of Aragorn, in my opinion. And just like Aragorn, sometimes he has to make quick decisions to save the party, like throwing Fern from the van. So that makes Charlie, Lori, Ernie, Steve, and Tommy the Fellowship. Sauron the White is the one who works for our big bad as his right-hand man. In this case, I would say both Benny and Rico are our Sauron, as between them, they may be smart enough to form one brain. Sauron, well, he would be the big bad calling all the shots. So in this case, even though we didn't get to really see much from him, Big Sep would be our Sauron. Gollum is the character who is focused on just himself and his own happiness and gets upset when others mess with his precious. In this movie, that's Dick Bennett. He's constantly the one being upset. First, he hates his daughter's choice in a boyfriend. Then he's upset that Charlie is joining them, and so on, all because it's impacting his life and his vacation. It's never about his wife or daughter, just about his own happiness. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? Often when I work on these precious moments, I look for a concept more than something physical to represent the ring. But in the case of eight heads in a duffel bag, it's pretty obvious the eight heads in a duffel bag are the precious. It's the one thing everyone is after. It causes chaos to anyone who comes in contact with the bag of heads. And the longer it's in Charlie's life, the more fucked his life becomes. When our main characters are finally rid of the bag, all go on to happier lives, even Steve. And there you have it, my comparison between Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag and Lord of the Rings. 
Bring on the grades. I'll go first. Okay. Don't, don't hold the movie against me. No, 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 no. It's not about the movie, bud. It's about your comparison. You know what? We've talked about that at nauseum. Uh, not bad. Uh, I think that you took the character Ernie and Steve. Yeah, totally. No brainer. Right. Um, Frodo. Yeah. Obvious. Sam. Obvious. I think that you said a darker version of Aragorn. I would have said Boromir, but that's just me because Boromir does redeem himself at the end, even though Tommy doesn't die, blah, 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 mm-hmm. with split hairs. But, you know, uh, I liked I liked uh, the Gollum comparison with Dick. I thought, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, overall, I'm going to say that even though you were given a, let's say, D minus of a movie to work with, I'm going to give you a solid D plus. No, I'm just kidding, buddy. C plus all the way. That was my grade too. Was it? Yeah, because outside of your usual characters, but I did like the precious being the eight heads in the bag because that's what everybody was going after. So did I. Good yeah. job. So C plus. I couldn't find a Gandalf for this movie. Could you think of a Gandalf? <sighs> Gandalf, Gandalf, Gandalf. Um, no, not no. There was no wisdom in this movie at all. No, No, there wasn't. And that was John's. Moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, you ready to rate this flick? I'm right with some head. Of course you are, buddy. Of course you are. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Anytime somebody wants to watch that, hey, you want to watch this? Yes, I do. Fuck yeah. A one fuck movie is a movie where you've watched it and... Oh, God. What the fuck was that? And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is where you say to yourself, somebody owes me one hour and 35 minutes of my time, my life back, because what was that for shit's sake? Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right, who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right, buddy, hit us. Tommy is easily the most likable thing about this movie, and he's like a uh, he's like a benevolent uh, Tommy from Goodfellas. And he is not somebody that is malicious necessarily. We see him do bad things, but not really that bad. With the exception of throwing grandma from the moving van. However, you know, the torture that he does and and he doesn't drop F-bombs and and, and he doesn't get, you know, overly aggressive towards people. Just pay phones, right? And so for the most part, he's, he's, he's a gentler version of that. And... That's all this movie has to lean on is Joe Pesci being Joe Pesci as a gangster. Outside of that, there's not too much more to it. I, I found the uh, the story to be uh, convoluted. I was able to follow it, yes, but the cadence of the movie is awful. It does not flow well at all. The black humor of the movie, usually I'm game for black humor movies, but, you know, I feel like it's such a cheap knockoff of weekend at bernie's and weekend at bernie's what was that like eight years before and i i I think that it just it doesn't land and this movie is is it's a dud and so i'm giving it one fucks one fuck from the professor all right you're me tough guy what's your call you gotta call my grade 
What's my record? I'm five and one. Well, yeah. You are going to give eight heads in a duffel bag. I'm looking at the professor listeners. He's talked mad shit about it, right? Couldn't follow it. 407. Watched it twice. Listen to the other. Watched it fucking twice. It should be. It should be like a point five, one even. You are going to give eight heads in a duffel bag two fucks. That is your final answer? Yes. Would you like me to read my review? Well, we've built it up now, dickhead. See what I did there? My mother always taught me that if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And for those reasons, I'm giving eight heads in a duffel bag two fucks. Bam, bitches! Dude, that is probably my favorite review you have ever given. That was pretty wild. That was that was awesome. I, I can't even... Listeners, I am smiling ear from ear. Not because he gave it two fucks. Not because it's a bad movie. But that review was... Short and sweet. 30 seconds. That just leaves you, big guy. <laughs> yeah, top that shit. Oh, I don't think I can. Um, eight heads in a duffel bag. We bring this upon ourselves. We ask the listeners to give us ideas, give us movies, and we go out and we watch them. Some good, some not so good. So... I went into this with an open mind because it's Joe Pesci and I like funny shit. The problem was with this movie is the only funny shit in this movie is Joe Pesci and David Spade. And there is far too less of them and far too much of everybody else who just kind of sleepwalks their way through this entire movie. <clears throat> the dark comedy, I... I'm a big fan of. I like. I don't care that they were eight heads in a duffel bag. I don't care it was part of the mob. I don't care if it was gross. It just wasn't funny. It was paced horribly. It came in at an hour and 35 minutes. Sorry, listeners. It felt like two hours and 35 minutes for me. So not a huge fan. I am giving eight heads in a duffel bag one fuck. So that is one fuck from me, one fuck from the professor, two fucks from the comic book guy, which gives eight heads in a duffel bag a average of 1.3 fucks, which now puts it in its own spot at number 37. Magical. Which means it is slightly better than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, Friday the 13th, the original, and a Nightmare on Elm Street remake. And it is slightly worse than The Natural, A Scanner Darkly, and Halloween, the 2007 remake. Apparently, we are just not fans of head. Oh, we are fans of head. Just, we like good head. Just too much head? No, no. Well, first of all, there is no such thing as too much head. Well, does more heads make it a better movie or less head? Do you, which do you prefer in your movie? Moorhead, what what are we talking about here? I'm so confused. I don't know. I think you guys would have given this movie a higher rating had you had to watch it a second time. I don't know. Well, the joke's on you, bud. You're the one that did watch it two times, so I don't know what to tell you. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out the website. Speaking of which, John, where can they find us? Well, if they're looking for more head, or I mean more information about eight heads in a duffel bag, you can always go to our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we post our show notes, movie trivia, 
anything else we feel like posting there. We're even now posting new blog posts that are written by a fourth member of Three Guys in a Flick, our new blog writer, Fuckbot, the AI. Naturally, the name is Fuckbot, and uh, on behalf of Three Guys in a Flick, I would like to welcome Fuckbot to the family. Well, I will have him write up something to respond to that. <laughs> you can also find us anywhere that hosts podcasts and all of social media. All right, so there you have it. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to throw out a special thank you to Des for making us watch Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. That is an experience I hope to forget soon. And, of course, thank you to everyone else who listens and who has suggested a movie, whether it be good, the bad, or the absurd. You keep listening. We'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Fire it up. What movie? The Crow. Oh, very good. I'm shocked you got that so quick. (laughs) What do you think of Spade's performance in this movie? Say that again without me. What do you... Without me interrupting you. Competition to see who wins. He, he's just trying to pit us uh, against each other like animals. Probably. You yeah. know. The big, there'll be a big, big tiebreaker at our 200th episode or end of the year. Charlie has already seen the heads at that point. No, he has not seen the heads. He has no idea why she freaks out at the, uh, the lunch or whatever it is. They just assume it's the pills and the alcohol. See, that's how memorable this fucking movie is. Mm-hmm. No idea where I was going with that. I don't think this movie knew where it was going either. Oh, no. This this movie knew where it was going. Driving me fucking insane. That's where it was going. Uh, I do feel that we are slipping in our old age. This was an opportunity for a lot more head jokes, and we just did not fit them into this podcast. Yeah, well, like I said, this was kind of a mess from the get-go. Well, we have you guys still have to try on your dresses before we close out the night. When is... Uh, Crypticon? Uh, I believe it is in May. Okay. Ask me again in April. All right, fuck off. Good night.